Barukata Adonai, Eloheinu Melakalam, Asher Kachanu be Mitsutal Vitivanu, La Asok be Divre Torah, Veharevna Adonai Eloheinu, et Divre Koroteka, Befinu Ufi Amka Bet Israel, Venie Anaknu, Vetsa Etsa Engu, Vetsa Etsa Eamka Bet Israel, Kulano Yodea Shemeka Velom de Toroteka Lishma, Barukata Adonai, Hamla Metorah Leamo, Israel. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakar Banu Mikol HaAmin, Veinatan Lanu Et Torato. Baruch Ata Adonai, Noten HaTorah. Amen. Yehi Ratzon Milfanecha Adonai Elohei, may it be your will, Hashem my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble any matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore, and not regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in the matter of Torah and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. I'd like to welcome everyone to Ruminations 4, Parsha Vayetek. So, uh, just a quick note, Parsha Vayetek, the root Vayetek is connected to Yetziat Mitzrayim, which is the exodus from Egypt. So, here, this Torah portion comes to bring us a foreshadow of the Exodus. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Shlomo. And welcome once again. Yes, indeed. Parashah Vayetze, Rumination 7. Why doesn't everyone appreciate the value of the systematic reading of the word? Yeah, it really speaks to um, like preferences that people would have. Mm. Like I want to do it my way kind of thing. Yeah, because the, the question would be, uh, so why are you reading the word? Mm. An examination of motives. Yep. I I look back at my years. My wife and I look back at our years in the church, and we were actually talking about this last night. You know, how does one expect to grow? Mm when you don't have this tradition of systematically reading the word day in day out week in week out month after month year after year as we do with the torah and the other thing is that synagogues all around the world 
are reading the very same portion. Yeah. That to me is huge. That tells me that as far as reading is concerned, they're all on the same page. <laughs> Pun intended. Whereas we find in Christendom, it's a different message in, in so many different places. There's no consistency. Yeah. It's, and this is a, this is something else I've heard as well. When the pastor gets up there and says, this is what's on my heart today. Uh-oh. And that may seem like a good thing on the surface, but we must not forget the words of Jeremiah since we were dealing with prophets yesterday from Handbook of Jewish Thought that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? You. You know, if that's how you're serving Hashem, then you're tailing that message for yourself. And then, you know, people sitting in the pews are so enamored by it. Oh, the pastor is so awesome. He's so, you know, my wife and I have a serious problem with that thinking. Yep. They're, they're a man just like you and me. They're no better. I'm no better. I'm no worse. You know, there's a, a lack of reverence while in the synagogue on Shabbat. The, the proper reverence is shown for the Sefer Torah when one walks up to the Aron to pull the scroll out of the Aron Kodesh and all the blessings that come with it, all the prayers that come with it before, during, and after. It's an acknowledgement that there are no words like these words that we read. And that, yeah. that speaks volumes. That it's, it's basically an acknowledgement that the Torah is divine. And uh, what we were talking about earlier when we, this uh, commentary on Ladder of Jacob on John 1 1 and how the Torah is him and that you know Hashem and the Torah are one and that it is his revelation and that it's unchanging it's immutable so why not study these words that were spoken 3500 years ago systematic reading Um, you know, that makes me think of the Corinthians passage where it says our God is a God of order. Yeah, he certainly is. So it would be nothing less than expected that there's a orderly way and orderly way to read the word. An orderly way to study, to teach, to share. 
never thought about it in those terms, but since you speak like that, you know, makes sense. Because it's like you can't separate out the word from Hashem. Yeah, it's um, a very solemn thing to do. It's it's one of those things that brings holiness to the moment. Um, it's part of one of the most holy acts that we can do is to read the portion every week. Yeah. Especially when you know and find out that each time you read the parsha, it literally matches something that's going on in your life at that point. Yeah. As Hasidu says, reading the Torah portions is living with the times. Yeah. My wife and I, I was reading uh, Perky to my wife last night. Uh, and in 3 verse 9, Rab Jacob said, he who is walking by the way and studying and breaks off his study and says, how fine is that tree? How fine is that fallow? Him the scripture regards as if he for had forfeited his life. Yikes. That's the uh, source of King David's fall with Bathsheba. Yeah. But then Rav Dotstes, uh, the son of Janai, said in the name of Rav Meir, Whoso forgets one word of his study, him the scripture regards as if he have forfeited his life. For it is said, only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen. Now one might suppose that the same result follows even if a man's study has been too hard for him to guard against such inference. It is said, unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Thus a person's guilt is not established until he deliberately and a set purpose removes those lessons from his heart. Hmm. And then back in the Three verse six, Rev uh, Nakunia, son of Hakana, said, Whoso receives upon himself the yoke of the Torah from the yoke of the kingdom and the yoke of worldly care will be removed. But whoso breaks off from him the yoke of the Torah, upon him will be laid the yoke of the kingdom of kingdom and the yoke of worldly care. Nice. And that could easily be connected with Matthew eleven twenty nine through 31. Take my yoke upon you. 
and learn of me. Oh yeah, and then I really like this next one. Uh, Rav Kalafta, the son of Dosa, of the village of Kanania said, when 10 people sit together and occupy themselves with the Torah, the Shekinah abides among them. As it is said, God stands in the congregation of the godly, and whence can it be shown that the same applies to five? Because it is said, he has found his band upon the earth. And whence can it be shown that the same applies to three? Because it is said, he judge, he judges among the judges. And whence can it be shown that the same applies to two? Because it is said, then they that feared the Lord spake with one another, and the Lord hearkened and heard. And whence can it be shown that the same applies even to one? Because it is said, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. So all foods, food for thought there from Perky Avot. Get your phone. Um, so one thing I have come away with when I study uh, Perky Avot is these are traditions that provide much needed context to our observance. Yeah. How we're walking it out, you know. Um, traditions are powerful things when built upon a firm foundation of the commandments of Hashem they can provide a structure that can protect the foundation and all that live under the roof of the building in which case I'm reminded of the words of the master um, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and when the wind and the waves came it thrashed upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And then there's the man who built his house upon the rock. The wind and the waves came and thrashed against the house and it stood because it was founded upon a rock. Yeah, like a lighthouse. Yeah, and we know the Torah is likened to a rock. And we know that it's Hashem, and we know that He is Zuru Yeshenu, the rock of our salvation. Amen. On the other hand, if they are not built on the commandments of Hashem, His loving instructions, they can shelter vain and even false teachings, providing protection for the very things the Almighty has rejected. Hmm. I mean, this again goes back to uh, the 10 utterances where Hashem has said on every subsequent day of creation, except for the second day that he said it was good. So he's told us what is good. And I believe and one of the 12 minor prophets 
the Lord has shown you, oh man, what is good and what you need to do. And then in Kohelet uh, 12, 13, and let, let us sum up the matter, fear God, fear Hashem and keep his mitzvot, for this is the whole duty of man. And one of those mitzvot is the reading of the Torah. <laughs> and the other thing pointing about that is that uh, at the end of Sefer Bamidbar, where Moshe takes the scroll and places it next to the Brit Arun and instructs the Kohenim that they are the ones responsible for reading it every week. It's in their care. Um, and then in Devarim, in Hershah Shoftim, I believe, in Devarim 17, there's the mitzvah where a king has to keep two copies of a, of a Torah scroll. One for himself and then one for the public reading. Yeah, I've been thinking about that passage, how it can be a hint or an allusion to the fact of having the king is having the two Torahs, the written and the oral Torah. Because it was saying that the quintessential Jew is the king. And so if we want to walk in the fullness of the, I would say not necessarily the representation of what we should be, but the epitome of what is a Jew, is the king of Israel. And if he has two Torahs, we should have two Torahs. And just kind of understanding on a, again, just like another level symbolically thinking about things. There's two Torahs, you know, and that's the written and the oral Torah. But in the case of the king, it's talking about two physical copies of the written Torah. But just a little thought that I was thinking on as far as uh, that particular passage about the king. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, in Devarim 17, he even uses the word Mishnah, which means repetition. So yeah. the, re the repetition of scribing another scroll in addition to reading. So this is another reason why the orator is indispensable. In other words, I would just go as far as to say you cannot have one without the other. You got to have both. 100%. If not, you're going to be real confused. Yeah. Like it stated here, if, on the other hand, if they are built not built upon the loving instructions of Hashem, they can shelter vain, even false teachings, providing protection for the very things the Almighty has rejected. Yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest things is the beginning of this Torah portion how there's a whole thing about 
the written Torah teaching us a midrash about the son of Esav attacking Yaakov and causing him to be poor and destitute by the time he shows up to the house of Levon. But if you just read the written Torah and don't study the oral Torah, you'll never know about that. Yeah, like um, when we were going through the Alia for Rashi, how it he elucidates Levon's motives and that his only motive was to take whatever Yaakov had. Wow. You know, because Rashi says he hugged, uh, Levon hugged Yaakov to see if he had any coins on him. <laughs> I mean, are you going to catch that when you just read the surface meaning of the text? No, and if you're one of those persons who rejects the words of the sages, the misinterpretation, which ultimately becomes a stumbling block, and thus comes the admonition in Vayikra 1914, you shall not curse to death nor before the blind place a stumbling block. Yeah. You shall fear your God. I am Hashem. So check this out. So if you read just plain text, <laughs> no commentary. Again, imagine not having the oral Torah. So this is Genesis 29, 13. Just verse 13. When Levon heard the news about his sister's son, Yaakov, he ran out to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home where Yaakov told him all that had happened. And like, what? <laughs> doesn't that just get you i mean it's because you would think like okay all that had happened so is this the uh the ladder of jacob incident from the previous chapter or what or like i stole the blessing from my brother you know all this kind of stuff like that but literally the whole point there is like, I, I know you're looking for things, but I was basically attacked on the way here. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. <laughs> but that doesn't come out in the written Torah. You have to read the oral Torah for that. And this makes Levon seem like this super hospitable guy, which again, the oral Torah was bringing it out like, Levon really didn't want him to stay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, see that, you know, if most people would simply claim, oh, that's just traditions of men. And I've had that argument used. I, I don't, I can't tell you how many people have told me that in the Messianic movement, you know, but in particular Hebrew roots, um, that. You know, oh, I, I like this Bible, you know, because there's no traditions of men. Well, your anti-tradition is a tradition. Yep. 
you know, and I confronted one other person about this on this sub, and I'm going to be honest about it. Tradition is a very difficult subject for people to deal with. In most cases out of 10, they become angry and defensive. And I'm speaking from personal experience because I'm a person who's willing to challenge my preconceptions because I know they'll challenge me if I don't have the right mindset, especially when I approach Torah study. Um, you know, because people keep exclaiming, I don't want traditions of men, those rascally rabbis, you know. And I say to them, you know, if you reject their words, and I told this to one person one time, then misinterpretation and deception lies in wait. You're, you're not in a very safe place when you don't fully embrace um, the Jewish way of studying the Torah and scripture as a whole. Um, yeah, see, we just need to be careful. We need to be humble. We need to acknowledge the fact that this is from Hashem and that they're doing what Hashem has commanded them. Um, another point of Deuteronomy 17 is that Moshe appointed the judges and he told the children of Israel that you are to do whatever they say. And Yeshua actually echoed these words in Matthew 23, when he said that the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moshe, whatsoever they tell you, you do, but do not do what they do, for they say and they do not. Wow. So in no way was he rejecting the authority of the judges. Um, and also that a lot of people think that Yeshua was an anti-traditionalist. I would beg to differ. He wasn't opposed to tradition, as some would interpret Matthew 15 regarding Natilat uh, Yadim, the washing of hands. Um, and Mark provides us, Mark's gospel provides us with a little bit more about that regarding the washing of cups and bowls for the purposes of uh, ritual purity. You know, Yeshua simply was pointing out that this is your own personal stringency, your own personal halakha, and it is not found within the scripture, and that you're using this to nullify the very instructions that Hashem has given. And, and all he's doing is merely pointing out the difference, the dichotomy between the two. <laughs> He didn't say, oh, you shouldn't do that. He said, don't try to use this to nullify the very instructions of Hashem. That point is sadly lost on many. Yeah, but it comes from the disposition of we don't want the word anyway. <laughs> yeah so it's easily um easy deception or easily to sway into that particular mind frame of commentary yeah like looking for ways of messiah to be against the torah 
even though he himself said, do not think that I came to abolish. Amen. Um, so that reminds me of another rumination. If he called, would you know his voice? Yeah. Because truth uh, be told, it's like people are making or fabric, not fabric. What is the word I'm looking for? People are creating the words that the Messiah is supposedly saying by really deflecting everything from him to Paul. You know, it's like not so much the Messiah speaking, but Paul speaking. And if Paul is speaking, then that's what Messiah was talking about. You know, and so it's like throwing his voice or whatever. <laughs> Uh, like a bench twirl list. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is really Yeshua, but I mean, it's Paul. And you're just like, when did the Messiah's words ever come second place to Paul? Yeah, and a more careful reading of Shaul would be that he's you know, like he says in Romans 11, I am a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He comes a Pharisee. He comes right out and says it. Right there in Romans 11 too. And yet this verse is glossed over by the theologians and by, you know, pastors everywhere. So wait, uh, by him saying that, He's acknowledging he's Jewish and not a Christian. Yeah, exactly. The other thing about that is Christianity flat out historically did not exist in the first century. All there was was the Tanakh, Torah, Judaism. That's it. Well, that's got to be awkward to be anti-Semitic, but led by a Jew. <laughs> it's, a, it's an irony isn't it Good you know it's I wonder about the tradition of the one man preacher show that is so often seen in congregations and churches there's no doubt we need teachers however it concerns me when I hear someone drone on for half an hour or longer, and you and I have been there, same with, you know, my wife and I, you know, we, we hear what he says, this is what's on my heart today, I want to share with you, you know, and for, so for the next half hour or so, you're hearing about it. And yet, missing from the service is the systematic reading of the word. Yes, verses may be read or quoted out of context, but that's not quite the same thing as systematically reading the word week in and week out. Yeah, because that's the other thing I was going to say. Usually the whole, let me just share with you what's on my heart, is it doesn't really get you into the text and like 
you know, like wrestling with the word and, and digging into the commentaries, you know, it's like the verses are secondary to what the message is actually presenting. Like the, the scriptures are just used as these uh, convenient, you know, slogans or little tie-ins to give more legitimacy to the message at hand, which I always thought was interesting because in Judaism, you start your discussion from the Torah. Then you launch out into the commentaries and you bring it all back. You know, you don't ever really just veer off and just stay in your own world. Yeah, this, the, the principle of Pardes is so important. Um, uh, Kagiga, what was it, uh, 13, the four rabbis that entered into the Pardes, the orchard. Yeah. And only Rabbi Kiva came out in peace. Um, but from that, we have the Jewish hermeneutic, the, the approach of the sages when it comes to studying the Tanakh, and that is the Peshat, the surface meaning or plain meaning of the text. And then the Ramez, when one verse refers uh, back to another, and then Drash or Midrash to search it out, which is what we do when we open up the commentaries, you get out the Talmud or the Midrash, or whatever sources that you have on your bookshelf and you start searching it out. And then the so the secret things are revealed, but only to those who merit it, meaning that we labor in Torah. Yep. Hagiga 14b. Yep. Which I think is interesting. It's four people that entered corresponding to the four levels of Pardes. But the other thing I was going to say is um, this is the significance of it saying, you know, Rabbi so-and-so said in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. Because he built into our commentaries is understanding that it's a linked tradition that we're continuing to comment on and learn new things from. Because the whole, let me share with you what's on my heart, like that's not traced back to anything. Yeah, and thus the verse from Jeremiah I quoted earlier, the heart is wicked above all things who can know it. You know, everyone says, oh, follow your heart, you know, but no, that's, if you served Hashem and if you delivered your messages based on how you feel, then you really don't have any emunah at all. It basically doesn't exist, especially since you say that um, our righteousness is only in uh, Messiah and in not in the performance of mitzvot, in addition to that. Hmm. 
because your emunah is built upon that rock of obedience, regardless how you feel. I mean, I wouldn't get anything done if I, if I let my emotions rule over me, you know? True. Um, I wouldn't be at the place that I'm at now, you know, kind of a personal testimony on my part that my emuna wouldn't be as deep as it was, as it is now. My understanding of the most pertinent matters concerning our walk with the master, because we're striving to emulate him. We're trying, we're striving to be as much like him as possible because we want people to see him in us. And if I don't labor like I'm supposed to in Torah for my own sake, then I'm not really going to get anywhere. I mean, that, that was the complaint that my wife and I had when we were in the church is that, you know, they're, it's all Peshat. It's all surface me. They're not really digging. You know, it's all about filling the pews, about, you know, making sure people pay their tithes and offerings, you know, it's nothing but a business. And they forget that it's about discipleship. It's about making Talmudim for the master and helping them to grow as well, because in helping someone else to grow in scripture, you're growing yourself. Yeah, I was just looking up uh, Genesis 15, where it says Abraham believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And the word is amin, or amen is the root. Mm. And that comes from not only believing, but doing, which is exactly what James was talking about. Absolutely. You say you have faith. Then I will show you my faith by my works. And amin is a verb. Um, yeah, the Aleph Kamatz. So it's on the call stem. It's an active voice verb. Um, imperative, meaning you to do this right now without delay. So without delay, you are to believe in Hashem right this very moment. To believe that he spoke and it is so. Um, yeah, all these things, it's. I often wondered, you know, when, when I was in the church, that, you know, how's a person to grow sincerely? I mean, to deepen their understanding, to deepen their love for, for Hashem, you know, for Mashiach. When it's merely about what the pastor thinks. And see, that, therein lies another problem. The pastor's faith becomes the faith of the congregants. 
the pastor's understanding trickles down to the congregants. And our master has even said, search the scriptures, for in them you will find that they testify of me. He's actually telling us, you need to search, you, you. The individual who's a part of a community. See, this is where the one-man preacher show and congregation in churches tends to fall flat on its face. Because if you become so dependent on this one man, then you have a problem on your hands. You're not active in your, with your emunah. And yes, Torah study is a work of righteousness. <laughs> uh, Jude even says, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Building, keyword. Yes, <laughs> bonnet. <laughs> yeah, bonnet Jerusalem, <laughs> the builder of Jerusalem. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about the Torah. It's a nice template of showing us what we need to do. There's no mystery involved. It's all laid out there for us, on the simple level, of course. But to truly understand it, we need the, the words of the sages. And, it's, and here's the other thing is it's not just one rabbi talking. It's 70 of them. You know, which is another fault of the one man show behind the pulpit, you know. I mean, does he have any peers that he's accountable? Does he even sit down during the week with others and sit like down? A havruta? Yeah, exactly. Pairing up with a you know a havruta, which that's what it means. It means to pair. Yeah. Like what you and I do. We have we pair up with somebody. We pair up right now with this podcast because why? We're going back and forth because we want to make sure that we understand the context of what. It's being presented here. And the point is, is well taken. Yeah, but yeah, yes, verses may be read or quoted out of context, but that's not the quite same, same thing as systematically reading the word. And I will also say systematically studying with it, but not by yourself. You know, like, you know, what we did yesterday, which was really great, by the way. <laughs> Don't know. You know, that, that's what we need as a community. We need to bounce off of each other, you know, because everyone has their perspective. Everyone has their, how Hashem is speaking to you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> What's so funny is I'm so used to Yosef teaching whenever I'm on Zoom. <laughs> that. Yeah when I was uh, kind of leading out with everything, he would tag in and start like going. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is what he does. <laughs> I know. It's like I, I like, I forgot for a moment, <laughs> but it's like this really cool thing where like everyone who's a part of it, like you, you get to see like all these other facets, like you just mentioned. 
and it becomes like this community learning and growing experience like it's just it's awesome i always love it i always think of it as like all stars coming together and everybody doing their thing like everybody's got their fancy move you know oh yeah <laughs> reminds me of that tv show from the 80s the a-team yes i exactly. love it i love it when a plan comes together <laughs> yep but that's uh, how it's supposed to be that that keeps us you know engaged really uh honest about what we're learning and sharing you know and built in checks and balances to make sure that we're not getting crazy you know yeah not going off in left field there trying to catch a foul ball or something you know <laughs> yeah um yep so uh christianity has lost its tradition for the systematic reading of the word sadly it appears that the tradition never existed in some circles wow yeah that's pretty big i I'm, i was first time i read this one this rumination i was just like flabbergasted I, like how could they not do this you know but I think to you and me that I think the answer is quite obvious. It's a rejection of everything that they perceive to be Jewish. Because Christianity is the Gentile religion. So wow. This next point is a real big one, and I've experienced this myself. One reason why some Messianic congregations do not have a Torah service is because of the element of time. Yikes. <laughs> My wife and I attended such a congregation. Um, I've even had talks with them. I said, guys, you know, you need to make time for the systematic reading of the Torah, the weekly portion, just simply reading it. And of course, they were resistant. I had one person practically uh, who was defending me because he saw my, my level of my Torah knowledge in some respects exceeded the teachers that were teaching there. So why are you letting this guy teach? You know, and one of them would tell me, well, we're a little leery of new teachers, you know. I believe the real reason is because they don't want someone upsetting their status quo, you know, because they were Hebrew roots. Although I didn't fully realize it at the time. Um, and I I told this, this uh, congregant that... Um, it really doesn't bother me because, you know, it's an open forum at least. And so I can bring, you know, the proper interpretation, you know, you know, the sages, the commentaries, you know, so, and whether they liked it or not, I did, and, you know, the looks on their faces told the story, you know, <laughs> told me everything. So, wow. Uh, because you get that solo scriptura attitude, you know, where, oh, we don't need that, you know, it's like, you know, 
Okay. It's not so much you don't need it, it's you don't want it. Yeah. Flat out don't want it, you know. <laughs> and that's yeah. unfortunate, you know. Um we don't have time to sing, pray, dance, preach, and read through the Torah portion. Right? They might say. For that, I have only one question. If we do not have time for reading what God says about himself, why do we have time for listening to a man's words about him? more even more to the point why do we have time to listen to a this one person's perspective or seeing through his lens that is not a very good place to be i mean pretty much puts a veil over the Torah, unless you're one of those who's willing to study the scripture on your own, which I was one of those, because I read my Bible through every year during those years. Um, and that's what really helps me out. This makes me think of when the Mashiach was talking about you accept other people when they come in their own name, but I come in the name of my father, and yet you don't receive me. I'm starting to realize the deeper implications of that statement. Yeah, boy. <laughs> okay, so you're going to, you have time to listen to this one-man preacher show, but yet you don't have time for the very word that was spoken at Sinai from the Holy One, blessed be he. I mean, that's the ultimate bin my experience, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can't, it can't get any better than that, you know? <laughs> If we will take the time to systematically read God's word, we might find that everything else we want to do will be in proper balance. Thus, the verse in Mishlei, a false balance is detestable to Adonai, but a just weight is his delight. Um, So what I did was I got out master plan. <laughs> and on page 265, number 64, Torah study. Nice. The mitzvah to study Torah at every opportunity. Nice. Listen, 
Israel to the laws I tell you today so that you may learn them and put them into practice. Oh, really? Devering 5.1. These things which I command you today shall be upon your mind, Devarim 6.6. 6. But the thing, I love this verse, but the thing is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart to do it. Devarim 30.14. How I love your Torah, I speak of it all day. Psalm 119.97. <laughs> oh here we go watch out that was a <laughs> adopt a torah teacher for yourself and acquire a colleague mishnah of vote one six <clears throat> we so are you told adopt your teacher um Here's a Hebrew phrase, kabel hokma, be kabel, oh, uh, no, kabel haver, be kabel hokma. <laughs> we are told to keep close to God, but how can one do this? The meaning is keep close to the sages of the Torah. Sifrei oh. Deuteronomy 11.22. So number one, the necessity of Torah study. The first law of the Torah is learn Torah. The practice, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the practice of Torah in all its aspects can flourish only in an atmosphere of knowledge, thought, and mental stimulation. This mental okay. stimulus, which is a basic tool of Torah civilization, is achieved by Torah study. Learning Torah is an essential element in the Torah environment. Everyone is obligated to study the Torah, whether rich or poor, healthy or sick, young or advanced in age, even the poor man who begs at the door even the head of a family who works to provide a livelihood for himself and his dependents must set aside fixed periods by day and night to study the Torah. How long must one go on studying? Until the day of one's death. Maimonides. We do not think there ever has been a civilization like this in which studying is a religious obligation at all levels of the population. Other civilizations have thought it best to keep the populace in ignorance. Roman Catholicism. Ooh, this guy's going for a jugular tonight. That's serious right there. I'm not kidding. <clears throat> In Catholicism, the congregants were forbidden to read the Bible. Only the priest would read it. And again, the fault of the one-man show. 
But for the realization of the Taurus goals, Taurus study on the widest possible scale is essential. Okay, number two, a mystery. Learning Torah aims at more than the accumulation of knowledge. This is indeed important, but it is not everything. Learning Torah has incalculable effects on one's character, too. Learning provides the incentive to live better, to perform better. It helps us to internalize Torah values. It has the power to change a person, a family, a society. That's a really, that's really important uh, active tycoon right there. You want to change the world, you got to start with yourself. And then you can change a, a family and then society. That's, that's, yeah, that's the best way, you know, probably the only way. The extraordinary effect, extraordinary effect toward learning is a fact of experience, but the mechanism by which it is achieved remains something of a mystery. Uh, but see paragraph four, uh, the forest. Mitzvah is a lamp, but Torah is light itself, Proverbs 6.23. This is a parable of the human predicament. A human being in this world resembles a traveler in a dense forest on a moonless night without a flashlight. He can't see even two paces in front of him. His next step might plunge him into a deep pit or into thorns and brambles. He is in great danger of being attacked by wild animals or robbers. In addition, he has not the faintest idea of where he is or in what direction he ought to be heading. Suddenly, he finds a flashlight. It works. He breathes a sigh of relief. At last, he can now see where he is going. He won't fall into a pit or into thorns, but the wild animals and the bandits still pose a grave danger and he still has no idea where he ought to be heading. Then, at long last, the sun rises, the animals go back to their lairs, the bandits to their caves. He is out of danger, but he still doesn't know whether he, whether he is heading in the right direction. When he comes to a signpost, his troubles are over. The traveler is you and I every man and every woman. If our journey through the world is without the guidance of Torah and mitzvot, we travel in the dark. Our passions and prejudices obscure our vision and we cannot distinguish between right and wrong. We are in constant danger of falling into a pit, that is, making a wrong moral choice with dire consequences. Or we may fall prey to wild animals or bandits, that is, we may be swept away by sudden surges of passion with equally disastrous results. The flashlight which saves us from the pitfalls of life, of life stands for the mitzvot of the Torah. The training and discipline which a life of mitzvot provides can save us from being too strongly affected by the immorality of the world around us. But mitzvot without Torah knowledge provide only a partial remedy one is not immune to the world, to the wild beast and bandits. One can still be overwhelmed by sudden surges of passion. 
what is the solution? Sunrise, the sun stands for the light of Torah knowledge in the mind. Torah in the mind elevates a person. The passion for Torah can displace other passions. And what is the signpost? Opinions differ. Perhaps it is the fear of sin. Three, program of study. Torah is a vast subject, but not so vast that you cannot begin. Learn a little today, a little tomorrow, persevere. Knowledge is cumulative. Torah is deep, but not so deep that it cannot be understood at your level. You may forget today what you learned yesterday and seemingly have made no progress, but this is not true. The Torah you learn is in your subconscious, helping you, helping you on from beneath the surface. Study the five books and discover the origin and mission of your people and the practical guidelines given by God for fulfillment of this mission. Study the prophets of Israel and learn the triumphs and failures of your people in times long past and derive lessons for the present day. Let your spirit take fire from the spirit of the prophets whose passionate demands for social justice have inspired mankind for millennia and should inspire us too. Study the writings and attune yourself to the sweet harp notes of the songs, which speak to the universal heart of man. Absorb the noble wisdom of Proverbs and Job, the drama of Esther, the mysteries of Daniel. Learn them with the commentaries of the sages of our people and discover the lessons which they derive from them. Learn the oral law, the only authoritative guide on how the principles of the Torah are to be applied in practice. Learn Mishnah for a comprehensive view of Halakha, study Shulchan Aruch and the other codes and, and summaries of Halakha, which guide you in everyday life. For an explanation of these terms, see Appendix Torah through the ages. Graduate to Gemara that compendium of Torah wisdom and the brilliance and acumen of the great Talmudic masters. Accompany them to their houses of study, take part in their lively debates, walk with them through the teeming marketplaces of Babylonia, sit with them in the law courts, live with them in their constant struggle to clarify the will of God and to apply it to all the realities of everyday life. This indeed is worked for a lifetime. It has provided a challenge and a constant occupation for the best minds of our people for many centuries, and it continues to do this to the present day. So that really does stress the virtues of starting scripture, you know, for yourself, but also with others. And again, this would uh, answer the question that we started with. Why doesn't everyone appreciate, you know, like through what you just mentioned, it brings about a whole element of appreciation. Because you can appreciate how the word of Hashem 
can be seen from so many different perspectives and what it brings out not only in us, but in other people. Yeah, if you can inspire someone to return to the Torah and, and perform the mitzvah, then you have done a great service. Yep. And to help them in their study. Um, which is interesting because I'm a volunteer at the Holy Language Institute and I get on Marco Polo and I share what I know to inspire other people and to help them. So again, it's like this big, huge melting pot, this big, huge collaboration, you know? Yep. You realize you're part of a greater whole and you realize that it's not just about you, but yet you are free to add your perspective, what you what you're learning. Um, yeah, there's a the parable of the mound, the cake, and the leaky pail. One person had a field with an enormous mound of earth on it. He looked at it again and again and came to the conclusion that there was nothing to be done about it. The land was useless. He sold it. The purchaser, purchaser said, true, it's not a lot of earth. It's a lot of earth, but I can tackle it. I'll take a couple of uh, pailfuls today and a couple tomorrow, and eventually I'll clear it. Then I'll have a beautiful field. Two people came into a large hall. They noticed there was a cake suspended from one of the rafters high up near the ceiling one said it's too high up there's nothing to be done about it the other said well someone must have put it there if he found a way to put it put it there i'll find a way to get it down he got a large table put a stepladder on the table got a long pole and took it down two people were out of work there was someone offering a good wage for filling a pail with water and taking it to a nearby field. The trouble was that the only pail supplied was leaky and most of the water leaked out before one got to the field. One said, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to spend all day filling a leaky pail. The other one said, they're paying good money for it, aren't they? What does it matter to me? The three parables refer to the three reasons beginners give for not learning Torah. The mound refers to the sheer amount that has to be learned. The cake refers to the high level of the argument one finds in Torah. The leaky pail refers to the unfortunate fact that many people forget what they learn. The answers have already been given. Number four, an exciting pursuit. Studying the details of the mitzvot, tracing their sources, analyzing and discussing the principles which determine them are certainly time-consuming occupations. 
they are meant to be. Our teacher Moshe recommended that we keep them in mind and speak of them morning and evening when traveling and when at home. It seems that he intended this to take up most of our spare time. It's true that the mass of Torah legislation is extremely complex. As we pointed out in the introduction, it matches the complexity of the human mind, but it is systematic and governed by indefinable principles. The consistent application of these principles and the reconciliation of apparent contradictions which arise in the course of study are the constant preoccupation of Torah students. That point cannot be stressed enough. <laughs> the attempt to solve the logical problems involved is an exciting and absorbing task. As in any other science, this is the high level of Torah study to which frequent reference is made in this book. There is an extremely subtle psychological motivation behind all this, as we have consist, uh, constantly stressed. The purpose of all mitzvot is the sanctification of life and the release of the full moral and spiritual potential of man. But one cannot talk about moral imperatives all the time. To dwell too much on this topic is counterproductive. The mind rebels against constant moral admonition. The Torah adopts the oblique method rather than dwelling constantly on morality. Torah Jews discuss mitzvot in all their variety and subtlety. By doing so, they immerse themselves in the words of God. And this itself has a purifying effect. In addition, moral and spiritual ends are implicit in all mitzvot. Though these are often not obvious on the surface, as a result, one can delve into the logical subtleties of the halakha without being consciously aware of the moral demands that the mitzvot themselves imply. But the spirit of the mitzvot is absorbed subconsciously by osmosis, so to speak. There is another point. Torah study is never conceived as the mere imparting of information where one party is active and the other passive. On the contrary, questioning and debate are actively encouraged from the earliest stages. The hot debates which, which sets Torah study often engenders is also a subtle psychological device for uh, sublimating our natural aggressive drives, as our sages remark, father and son, teacher and student, who seem like enemies locked in combat in the house of study, finally leave it, leave it arm in arm, the best of friends. In addition- One of my favorite quotes. Yeah. <clears throat> I really like the point where, uh, on the contrary, questioning and debate are actively encouraged. This is something you don't see in the church. No. <laughs> it's actually it's actually discouraged. So um, in addition, absorption in Torah learning can sublimate our sexual energies. The rabbis say that Israel loves Torah with the same intensity that other nations love sex. <laughs> 
Here are some further examples. Of true. It. Yeah, it is. And Torah, Torah's inspired depths psychologically. That holds true for regular education. Um, it used to be, uh, at least when I was in school, that uh, pursuit of uh, sexual relations with your girlfriend was absolutely discouraged because they wanted to make sure you got your homework done because it just turns out <laughs> to be one big fat distraction. <laughs> they want to make sure you got your homework done. I'm being simplistic about it. There's there's deeper consequences. I mean, yeah, I know. It's just so funny to think <laughs> about it. <laughs> I mean, my mother used to warn me about that when I first met my wife. You know, don't. And I heeded her warning, and I stayed out of trouble. I wish I could say the same for my brothers. Yep. <clears throat> But you get looked at as an alien if yeah. you have that kind of mentality. That's just that's just not what you do these days. What's even rarer is you enter into marriage as a virgin, which is frowned on today. Yeah, Mahavruta was telling me he was asking about uh, a coworker's wife, or no her husband because um she was pregnant and she left for maternity leave and she was like or Maharuta was like so like how is how is she and her husband doing you know since the baby and everybody was like what are you talking about she is not married like <laughs> he was like oh my bad <laughs> yeah you bad <laughs> oh Man. <laughs> yeah, my brother had the same problem. I mean, he's had children out of wedlock, and I, Mark, you keep, and I hate to put it this way, you're making business decisions with your Johnson. Yeah. But that's today's Noah. Yeah, that is. It's some. Um, yeah, it's it. It's a sign of a the darkness that's enveloping the world. Let's see. Uh, see. Yeah, here are some further examples of the Taurus inspired depth. Psychology, uh, psychology, number five, learning for practice. You must study in order to practice. This is the fundamental principle of Torah. Torah reveals its true meaning only to those who learn it in order to discover a way of life. One can learn it for other motives, to sharpen the mind, to attain honor or a livelihood, or even for uh, antiquarian interest. There is value in all of these, but only because the contact with Torah may eventually lead one to learn it for its true purpose. Procure yourself a teacher for, uh, for Torah, even if you have to pay for the privilege. Acquire for yourself a good friend 
with the same aims as yourself. Review together what you have learned so that you develop your own resources in Torah study. But learn from no teacher, however knowledgeable he may be, whose way of life is open to reproach. Uh-oh, call no man rabbi. <laughs> That's, you know what? This is likely what our master meant when he said that. Yeah, it's uh, sourced out in Malachi 2.7. Um, as a matter of fact, in... Yeah, in Likute Moharan 6, 1. Then God said to Moshe, the time is coming for you to die. at Yehoshua, summon Yehoshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting where I will appoint him. Deuteronomy 31, 14. <clears throat> Each person is required to minimize his own kavod, honor and maximize the honor of the omnipresent one. For anyone who pursues honor does not attain kavod Elohim, God's glory, but kavod Malachim, glory of kings, of which it is said, Proverbs 25, 2, but the glory of kings is an investigated matter. Everyone inquires about him to see if he is deserving of such honor, asking who is he and what is he? Esther 7, 5 that he is afforded such honor, and they oppose him, saying that he is not deserving of such kavod. However, the person who flees from glory, minimizing his own glory, while maximizing the glory of God, attains kavod Elohim, then they do not investigate whether he is deserving of his glory or not. Of him it is said, Proverbs, the glory of the Lord is a concealed matter, for it is forbidden to inquire into this type of glory. So the Mashiach Yeshua says, what does he say? I do not glorify myself. My glory is nothing. Yep. And he asked the Father to glorify him uh, in John 17. He never uh, spoke of himself as the one who should be glorified. I only glorify the one who sent me. Yeah, and the last sentence of that is the source of true wisdom is not to be found in him. Mm. So I'll, I'll reread that paragraph. But learn from no teacher, however knowledgeable he may be, whose way of life is open to reproach. The source of true wisdom is not to be found in him.
Yeah, it says in John 17, 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And what did we talk about earlier? John 1, Proverbs 8. Yep. Before the world was, the Uman, Amon, oh, man. <laughs> the yeah. child of Hashem. So yeah, the glory that the Mashiach has is, is the glory of the Torah that was before creation. That was found in Hashem. And then okay. John eight fifty four, and then because uh, I know you're transitioning back to where you're going, but this just this point about glory though is just super powerful. It says, "If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing." Yep. Side note: This is the Mashiach talking. And how much esteem and kavod do we ascribe to him? Especially the, the messianic consciousness of Judaism. Like Mashiach is like the one who's supposed to bring rectification, restoration, gathering the exiles, you know, and all these things. And he's just like, but yeah, if I do it, it's, gonna, it's not going to mean anything. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, that's that's heavy, man. Yeah, actually, Rabbi Nachman continues uh, in verse two. Mm -hmm. Now it is impossible to attain this kavod Elohim except by means of teshuva. And the essence of repentance is that when a person hears himself being insulted, he remains quiet and silent. There can be no kavod without kaf, and the kaf is the aspect of keter, crown Zohar 3, 255b. This corresponds to aye, as is known, which corresponds to repentance. For the meaning of aye is, I am prepared to be, that is, before repenting, a person does not yet have being. It is as if he does not yet exist in the world. Indeed, he would be better off had he not been created. Irving 13b, and I thought of Judah's betrayal of the master. Yep. When the master says, well, to him by whom the son of man is betrayed, it would have been better had he not been born. Yep. <clears throat> what did he proceed to do? Take his own life. Yep. It's as if he never existed. Yep. Based on what Rabbi Nachman is saying here. But when he prepares to purify himself and repent, he is he is then in the aspect of AA. In other words, he will then exist in the world, i.e., I am prepared to be. 
This is an aspect of Keter because the word Keter suggests waiting, which is an aspect of repentance. As our sages taught, anyone who undertakes to purify himself is assisted from above. It is like the allegory of the person who comes to buy sweet smelling oil. They tell him, wait, Yoma 38b. This corresponds to Keter, as is written, Job 36.2, Qatar, wait for me while I, wait for me a while and I will tell you. Before repentance, however, the aspect of AA is hidden from him, for he has not yet prepared himself to exist in the world. And the hidden face of AA, i.e. the Akoraim of the holy name AA, has the same numerical value as Dom, blood i.e. split blood and scorn, as is written in 1 Samuel 2.30, for I honor those who honor me, but those who scorn me, I will, scorn me will be dishonored. The blood which is in the left hollow of the heart, the abode of the evil inclination, as it is written in Ecclesiastes 10.2, but a fool's heart inclines to his left still retains its strength and power. This is the reason he is subjected to ridicule and split blood or spilt blood. They are the aspect of a hidden and turned face of AA, which has the same numerical value as dumb blood. Wow. Now the rectification for this is to turn from dumb to domi, quiet. He should be among those who hear themselves ridiculed and yet do not retort. Nor should he be vexed by affronts to his honor. For when he fulfills, be quiet before God, then the Holy One strikes his enemies dead. As it is written in Psalm 37, 7. Be dome before God and heat kolel, hope longingly for him. God will strike them, kalolim, dead. Gitin 7a. This is Psalms 109.22. And my heart is kolol, hollowed within me, i.e. through his quiet and silence. The bad blood in the left hollow is lessened. This is an aspect of slaughtering the evil inclination through which he merits kavod Elohim, as is written in Psalm 50.23. Whoever brings an offering of thanksgiving honors me. And the sages explain that this refers to slaughtering the evil inclination. Sanhedrin 43b. Wow. Nice. Which again, Sukkah 52 lets us know this is the Akidat of Mashiach. Because the Ben Yosef is also the slaying of the Yetzirah. Yep. <clears throat> And I believe in the Midrash says on Parashat Noah regarding the Yetzirah that in the Messianic era, uh, Hashem will take the Yetzirah and he'll slaughter it. That is correct. Okay, back to uh, Master Plan number six on Torah study. Number six, recreation. 
In a Torah life, time is divided between study and practice. Time, oh, <laughs> time is not our own to waste. Mm. Idleness is unthinkable. Is not life a continual task? There is much to do. Do we not have to practice justice and love, preserve our stores of wisdom, train our minds to be constantly aware of God? And idleness leads to boredom and sin. Recreation, certainly. Recreation belongs to the duties we owe our mental and physical powers to step out into God's fresh air and renew our covenant with the with earth and heaven and with the nature to which we belong. This is recreation. To step out of our loneliness into the circle of good people or into the company of one good person and an intimate exchange of thought in conversation to renew our covenant with society that puts new life into mental and bodily faculties in need of refreshment. Man, and what, what do we see today with this pandemic? They're trying to shut everything down, get, keep people at home. That's right. Keep them from renewing that covenant. Yeah, they're, in other words, they're violating the, that covenant. Yeah, well, when you start violating one covenant, it's usually not hard for you to start violating the other ones. Yep, and to rationalize it. <laughs> yep. But to read, hear, or speak for recreation, anything that does not promote our real life, that that pollutes our imagination and our mind. This means to kill our better self for the sake of recreation. Number seven, environment of Torah. If we want to be a blessing in the world, we must prepare ourselves for this task. And this is a preparation that lasts a lifetime. By learning Torah at every opportunity we create in our mind, in our home, in our society, an environment of Torah. This is the environment in which Torah personalities grow. Number eight, Kolelim. In our orphan generation, many great rabbis have seen the need for the largest possible number of young people to devote themselves full-time to high-level Torah study, research, and teaching. The aim is to do our utmost to reconstruct the world of Torah, which was lost and the Holocaust. Why sectors of Torah public assist in maintaining these research inst uh, institutes, which are known as uh, Kololim. Those, those hardy spirits who are prepared to forfeit prospects of economic security in order to take part in this great enterprise deserve our praise and admiration. When these young people eventually go out into life, either as Torah educators or in other spheres of activity, their influence is felt in society in many ways. Such individuals and groups of people are having considerable success in improving the Torah environment in many places in the world. Yeah, it just brings about the ultimate tikkun. It's near you, it's in your mouth. Yeah. In your heart.
So, beloved, the systematic reading of the word has been a part of Judaism for 2,500 years. And it, all and it all began with the men of the great assembly. Which technically is a misnomer because it all began with Mount Sinai. Well, yeah. Because, you know, sometimes people get into semantics on things like this. But the men of great assembly, I mean, they're the big funnel for you know, bringing everything down as far as like what we do today with the lighting Shabbat candles and celebrating Hanukkah and having the Siddur and things like that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, that was all, that's what I was really referring to. From yep. In that respect, the traditions that uh, bring context to our observance because a lot of those traditions are founded upon the very instructions that we find in the Torah it's just that too many people reject them thinking oh it's just traditions of men but yep. they they just simply don't understand that these men have gone over this from every possible angle, because why? Their one motivation is holiness. That's right. And remember too, like when Moshe came down the mountain, he taught the Torah, including the oral Torah to the 70 elders. And they each had their own academies that branched all the way down through the generations. So by the time we get the men of grade of assembly, there's like hundreds or thousands of academies already in existence that have this unbroken chain of all the traditions, all the commentaries, and it all goes back to Moshe. So they definitely did not make it up. Absolutely not. I mean, how, how could you make up something like that, you know? Yeah. And yet the irony is that in Christianity, they are making it up as they go along. Pretty much. And unfortunately, this caused a lot of fraction within the, the Messianic movement, especially uh, Hebrew roots. You know, because they are so resistant or anti-rabbinical, which I would caution that if you are anti-rabbinical, it always leads to anti-Semitism. Um, yeah, when you're uh, talking about the academies, I was, I was reminded of uh, the part of the Amidah, Al-Hazedekim. Ooh. Yeah. On the righteous, on the devout, on the remainder of your people, the family of Israel, and on their elders, on the remnant of the academy of their scholars, on the righteous converts, on ourselves, 
may your compassion be aroused. Please, Hashem, our God, and give goodly reward to all who sincerely believe in your name. Put our lot with them. May we never feel ashamed, for we trust in you, and upon your great compassion do we sincerely rely. Blessed are you, Hashem, mainstay and assurance of the righteous. Amen. And then Perkia vote 1-3, Antigonus of Soko received a tradition from Shimon the Just, and he used to say, be not like hirelings who work for their master for the sake of receiving recompense, but be like servants who minister to their master without any thought of receiving reward, and let the fear of heaven be upon you. Oh, yes, and the very next one. Jose, the son of uh, Yozer of Zeradah, and Yose, the son of Yochanan of Jerusalem, received the tradition from them. Yose, the son of Yozer of Zeradah, said, Let your house be a meeting place for the wise. Cover yourself with the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirst. Yes. So the systematic reading of the word has been a part of Judaism for 2,500 years. Maybe that tradition is something we should all seriously consider. It is something that Paul said that Timothy should maintain for the congregation of believers. Notice what comes first. I will take the public reading of the word over teaching or preaching. Apparently, Paul agreed. Until I arrive... <laughs> Give attention to, give attention to the what? The public reading of scripture to exhorting to teaching. First Timothy 4.10. Notice the order. Yep. Torah portions first. Need to hear the words of Rabbonu Shalom. Yeah, after our Zoom video yesterday, I was thinking about the Haftarah portions, how, how much more grateful I am for them because understanding what a prophet is like it's just a whole another meaning now while we have this particular piece of the Tanakh that's read together with the Torah portions <clears throat> yep absolutely yeah I've gotten appreciation for the Nevi'im when I learned about that as well um where I learned what the mark of a true Nevi'im is. Um, because you have too many self-proclaimed prophets today who 
really have no idea what they're doing. Um, and how that, and how that Yeshua Zadik is the prophet like Moshe. But then again, um, to truly, I think, uh, to truly appreciate uh, the words of the Nevi'im, we have to realize that Devarim is the king of the prophecy books. Because it's there that you find every prophecy regarding right up to our very day. Yep. And a lot of the motifs that are in the Torah, a lot of the narratives and the events that took place, especially in the Sefer that we're studying right now, Be'erishi, that the Nevi'im draw upon in their call to Israel to return. So a lot of what they say, there's, not, there's nothing new about it. And the same goes for Yeshua in the in the Gospels. There's there's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be again. Um. Yeah, Peter says we have a more sure sure word of prophecy. Right. Um, I think that's first Peter, his first letter. Um, Let's see. Uh, second Peter. Second? Okay. One nineteen. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes, we have the prophetic word made very certain. You would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark, murky place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, understand this. No prophecy of scripture is to be interpreted by an individual on his own. <laughs> For never has a prophecy come as a result of human willing. On the contrary, people moved by the Ruach HaKodesh spoke a message from God. And on the Kabbalistic note, prophecy emanates from the world of Atsilut. And Moshe Rabbeinu had the clearest revelation of Hashem that anyone could possibly acquire. No one else. For he merited bringing down the Torah from Sinai and denigrating him is a very dangerous thing to do. But then you have 
pastors who denigrate him and yet at the same time take his place, so to speak. Yeah. Don't listen to him. Listen to me. Yeah. Don't question me, you know, like that, you know. <laughs> I had a pastor tell me once, I get the impression, uh, Rick, that you won't submit. And I said, oh, really? You mean to you? Well, <laughs> I, I was just like, you, you've got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he got after, yeah, he was getting after me about tithing and stuff like that, you know, and like, Okay, for someone who says the Torah's done away with, you're pretty quick to uh, invoke that particular mitzvot. <laughs> um. Oh, okay, well, we should continue with uh, Second Peter here because he continues his thought. Uh, but among the people, there were also false prophets, just as there will be false teachers among you. Under false pretenses, they will introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and thus bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their debaucheries, and because of them, the true way will be maligned. In their greed, they will exploit you with fabricated stories. Wow. Talk about making it up as you go along. <laughs> their punishment decreed long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. For God did not spare the angels who sinned. On the contrary, he put them in gloomy dungeons lower than Sheol to be held for judgment. And he did not spare the ancient world. On the contrary, he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, and brought the flood upon a world of ungodly people. And he condemned the cities of Sodom and Amorah, reducing them to ashes and ruin as a warning to those in the future who would live ungodly lives. But he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the debauchery of those unprincipled people. For the wicked deeds which the righteous man saw and heard as he lived among them tormented his righteous heart day after day. We're pretty much in that situation ourselves, what we see going on around us. Yep. I sincerely hope that it grieves us. You know? So the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the wicked until the day of judgment while continuing to punish them, especially those who follow their old natures and lust for filth and who despise authority. Presumptuous and self-willed, these false teachers do not tremble at insulting angelic beings. 
whereas angels, though stronger and more powerful, do not bring before the Lord an insulting charge against them. But these people acting without thinking like animals, without reason, born to be captured and destroyed, insult things about which they have no knowledge. When they are destroyed, their destruction will be total. They will be paid back harm as wages for the harm they are doing. Yep. So yep. we don't have anything to worry about. Oh, yeah. We're watching this stuff happen right before us. As I mentioned before, our our test is going to be not uh, rejoicing at the uh, the coming judgment. Because yeah. you know how we get oppressed and like the evil that's done all day. And when it's finally rectified, you know, it's really tempting to be like, yeah, see, evil's gone. It's done. <laughs> but yet, you know, that's not what we're called to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We don't get the gloat. Because truth be told, if we're not careful, that could happen to us. Yeah, because you have to be where you stand unless you fall. Oh, yeah. Romans 14. Who are you to condemn another man's servant? For he stands or falls by his master. Yeah. Um, let's see. Their idea of pleasure is carousing in broad daylight. They are spots and defects <clears throat> reveling in their deceptions as they share meals with you. But they have eyes always on the lookout for a woman who will commit adultery. <laughs> eyes that never stop sinning. And they have a heart that has exercised itself in greed so that they seduce unstable people. What a cursed brood. Boy, he just laid it out there. <laughs> yep. And These people you know, left uh, straight. Well, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say that just really speaks in direct opposition to the systematic reading of the Torah. Yeah. Yeah, it's as if they're idle. Yep. And they're um, trying to fill the space. Yeah, which prompts me to read the uh, Avoda Zara 3B. Another teaching, Rav Levy said, whoever desists from words of Torah and engages instead in the words of idle chatter, they will feed him long burning rosenwood coals. As it says, those who uproot moist words on account of engaging in chatter, the root of rosen coals will ultimately be their meal. And note 43 on that part of the Gemara, this explanation takes the term uh, melulak as a cognate to the term uh, kiat, moisture. Since moisture represents vitality and spirit, the term moist 
words is understood as an allusion to the Torah, the source of all life. Our translation reflects the homiletical interpretation of the verse according to Rashi's preferred approach. Alternatively, Rashi explains the term uh, maluak as meaning the words that were written in the tablets, lukos, a reference to the Torah, which was given in two tablets. The simple meaning of the verse is quite different. The, uh, the verse appears in a passage describing the degradation of men whose base characters made them unwelcome in towns. Uh, see Ibid verse 5. These men therefore forget uh, forged forage for meals in the wilderness. They will scrape moss that grows next to a tree. And rosen roots will be their food, Tosafos. Yeah, that's basically what Peter is saying here. Yep. Another beautiful connection to the letters and the Talmud. Yep. These people have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Bilam ben Beor, who oh loved goodness. the wages of doing harm, but was rebuked for his sin. A dumb beast of burden spoke out with a human voice and restrained the prophet's insanity. Waterless springs they are, mist driven by a gust of wind. For them has been reserved the blackest darkness, mouthing grandiosities of nothingness. They play on the desires of the old nature in order to seduce with debaucheries, people who have just begun to escape from those who, whose way of life is wrong. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, for a person is a slave to whatever has defeated him. Indeed, if they have once escaped the pollution of the world through knowledge of our Lord and Deliverer, Yeshua the Messiah, then have again become entangled and defeated by them, their latter condition has become worse than their former. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than fully knowing to turn from the holy command delivered to them. What has happened to them accords with the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. Yes, the pig washed itself only to swallow, wallow in the mud. Yeah, that is a very serious um, rebuke. <laughs> Necessary, though, because people book the system all the time. Yep. Oh, I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> that, that's like the hippie generation from the 60s, you know, Woodstock and all that, you know. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, you know, this is just another reason why it's so important 
where we, we need to read systematically, we need to study systematically, because in doing so, we'll be able to connect the events of our day with the words of Torah. Because each week in the parshas, I tend to notice, you know, events in the world during the week for that for that weekly uh, reading. Yeah, you can literally have a compass and a almost like a GPS to go through your week if you study the parsha. Yeah, and the Messiah said, "I am the way." the truth and the life so the way through your life <clears throat> yep the commandments are our life and the length of our days that's beautiful though bro yeah like lining up all those pieces like that yeah it's just yeah, you have to apply yourself, you know, you have to, you know, that's the other aspect of Musar. It means um, not just correction, which we endure from Hashem and from each other at times, but also the discipline necessary to study the Torah and to live it out as well. Yeah, I like this next part of the Gemara. Um, the Gemara cites a different explanation that is also based on the verse cited in the Gemara above. Rach Lakish said, whoever involves himself in Torah study at night, the Holy One, blessed is he, endows him with charm during the day. As it says, in the day Hashem commands his kindness, and in the night his song was with me. The verse is expounded as follows. What is the reason that in the day Hashem commanded his charm to fall upon a particular person? Because in the night his song of Torah was with me. The Gemara presents a variant version of this teaching. Others say that the teaching is as follows. Rachel Lakish said, whoever engages in Torah study in this world which is likened tonight, the Holy One, blessed be he, will endow him with charm in the world to come, which is likened today. As it says, in the day Hashem will command his kindness, and in the night his song of Torah was with me. <laughs> More regarding Torah study. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, what is the meaning of that which is written? You have made man like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler. Why is man compared to the fish of the sea? To teach you the following lesson, just as the fish of the sea, as soon as they are lifted onto dry ground, they perish. So it is with man. As soon as they separate themselves from the words of the Torah, and from the mitzvahs, they perish. Wow. The Gemara provides an alternate, alternate explanation of this verse. An alternative explanation. 
just as the fish of the sea, as soon as the sun shines upon them, they perish. So it is with man, as soon as the sun shines upon them, they perish. The Gemara elaborates, if you prefer to say that they perish from the sun in this world, and if you prefer to say that they will perish from the sun in the world to come, if you prefer, prefer say that they perish from the sun in this world, in accordance with what Rav Kanina taught, for Rav Kanina said, all manner of suffering is in the hand of heaven, except for sickness brought on by exposure to cold and heat. For it is stated, cold and heat are in the path of the perverse, and one, one who guards his soul will distance himself from them. The second explanation, and if you prefer, say, that they will perish from the sun in the world to come, in accordance with the statement of Rav Shimon ben Lakish, or Rav Shimon ben Lakish said, there is no actual Gehinnom in the future to come. Rather, punishment to the wicked will be meted out thus. The Holy One, blessed be he, will take the sun out of its sheath and allow it to blaze forth at full strength. The wicked people will be judged by the intensity of the sunlight, while the righteous will be healed by it. The Gemara first shows that the wicked will be judged by it and then demonstrates that the righteous will be healed by it. The wicked people will be judged by the unsheathed sun. For it is written, Behold, the day comes burning like an oven, and all the wicked people and all the evildoers will be like straw, and that coming day will burn them up, says Hashem, Master of Legions, so that it will not leave them a root or branch. The Gemara explains the final phrase, There will remain not a root of them in this world, nor a branch of them in the world to come. The Gemara now demonstrates that the righteous will be healed by the sun. The righteous will be healed by it, for it is written in the very next verse, and it shall shine for you, those who fear my name, a son of righteousness with healing in its rays. Rash Lakish continues, and not only will the righteous be healed by the sun, but furthermore, they will delight in the unsheathed sun, as it is stated further in that verse, and you, those who fear my name, will go out and flourish like calves fattened in the, in the stall. Yeah, you know, Shaul tells us that whatever we build on that foundation will be tested by fire on the day of judgment. First oh, yeah. Corinthians three thirteen. So yeah, the fire test. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That makes me want to read uh, Yehuda. 
from Yehuda, a slave of Yeshua, the Messiah, and a brother of Yaakov, to those who have been called to our love by God the Father and kept for Yeshua the Messiah, may mercy, love, and shalom be yours in full measure. Dear friends, I was busily at work writing to you about the salvation we share. When I found it necessary to write, urging you to keep contending earnestly for the faith which was once and for all passed on to God's people. For certain individuals, the ones written about long ago as being meant for this condemnation have wormed their way in. Ungodly people who pervert God's grace into a license for debauchery and disown our only master and Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. Since you already know all this, my purpose is only to remind you that Adonai, who once delivered the people from Egypt, later destroyed those who did not trust. And the angels did not keep their keep within their original authority, but abandoned their proper sphere. He has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for the judgment of the great day. And Sodom, Amora, and the surrounding cities following a pattern like theirs committing sexual sins and perversions by exposed as a warning of the everlasting fire awaiting those who must undergo punishment. Likewise, these people with their visions defile their own flesh, despise godly authority and insult angelic beings. Well, Michael, one of the ruling angels, took issue with the adversary arguing over the body of Moshe, he did not dare bring against him an insulting charge, but said, may Adonai rebuke you. However, those people insult anything they don't understand, and what they do understand naturally, without thinking, like animals, by these things they are destroyed. Well to them in that they have walked the road of Cain, they have given themselves over for money to the error of Belam. They have been destroyed in the rebellion of Korah. These men are filthy spots at your festive gatherings meant to foster love. They share your meal, meals without a qualm while caring only for themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by the winds, trees without fruit, even in autumn and doubly dead because they have been uprooted. Savage sea waves heaving forth their shameful deeds like foam. Wandering stars for whom the blackness, blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Moreover, Hanok in the seventh generation, starting with Adam, also prophesied about these men saying, look, Adonai came with his myriads of holy ones to execute judgment against everyone that is to convict all the godless for their godless deeds, which they have done in such a godless way for all the harsh words these godless sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and complainers. They follow their evil passions. Their mouths speak grandiosities and they flatter others to gain advantage. But you, dear friends, keep in mind the words spoken in advance by the emissaries of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. They told you during the Akarit Hayamim, there will be scoffers following their own godless passions. 
These are the people who cause divisions. They are controlled by their impulses because they don't have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in union with the Ruach HaKodesh. Thus keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for our Lord Yeshua the Messiah to give you the mercy that leads to eternal life. Rebuke some who are disputing. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and yet others show mercy, but with fear, hating even the clothes stained by their vices. Now to the one who can keep you from falling, and yet, and set you without defect and full of joy in the presence of his Shekinah, to God alone, our deliverer, through Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So I was basically reading the whole thing to drive home the point, a systematic reading. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did ask the question. We would be remiss if we didn't fully answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or demonstrate it, you know, to... Yeah. The show, you know, to do, not mm -hmm. just say. <laughs> but yeah, it's important. Because there are no words like his words. <laughs> I know I keep saying that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then Yeshua says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. That's true. Which is a. Uh... Hint to the 13 attributes ah. of compassion that begin with Lord, Lord. So using that from Exodus uh, as a, like a entryway in, even though you want to walk in wickedness is not going to be efficacious. No, the 13 so attributes of compassion that uh, Hashem gave to Moshe to teach us about the forgiveness that was necessary after the golden calf. So we're talking like big deal kind of thing. Yeah, it is. Um, so that is Really a well-placed uh, rumination for this week's Parsha and for all the others as well. I mean. Yeah. Th this rumination harkens back to the first one where we get into the Torah portions and the reason for them to further yeah. substantiate, you know, the, the necessity for the, the systematic reading. Um, well, it's good to be consistent, right? Absolutely. Musar. I'm Burkashim. Parshavayate. Oh, yeah. There's some crazy stuff, man. 
And we're only on the we we finished the second LEI, so third LEI is coming up. Yep. <laughs> Man, so the big takeaway from this one is read. Give attention to reading. Just like Shaul says, until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. First Timothy 4.10. Beautiful. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early, and they arise early. I arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil, and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run, and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out after days, but as for me, I will trust in you. Barukata Adonai. Eloheinu menakalam, Asher natan lanu torat emet, Vekaye olam nata betokenu, Baruch ata Adonai notain ha Torah. We want Mashiach now.